Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Doug already read it. I encourage you to keep your finger there in the Bible. But I want to start with a question that's sort of been on my mind this week as I've been kind of wrestling and preparing. And it's this. Should the church have a marketing strategy? Should the church have an advertising plan? I did an Amazon search for church marketing, and I was actually kind of surprised to find a few dozen books on the subject that are available for purchase, Effective Church Marketing, and I thought that that was kind of just interesting. Uh, What is the goal of the church, and how does the church go about accomplishing that goal? Are we a corporation that markets goods and services to the world? Are we a charitable organization that's trying to affect social change around us? Are we a business attempting to attract new customers to what we're doing? Are we a company desperately trying to convince people to purchase products that they don't want or need? What is the goal of the church? I mean, really, what are, what are we doing here? What are you doing here every time that you show up? On Monday of this week, I started to receive these emails in my inbox that, you know, the first one came and then they came successively each day throughout the week. And the the first email was titled, uh, the subject, Church Fundraising Blueprint. And upon receiving the first email, I I opened it up and it said inside, this system has already increased giving by 24 to 52% in over 2,000 churches. It works. So if you will make a little time to apply what you learned, you will see results. And I was curious, right? Because if Maricopa Springs had a bigger budget, we could do more ministry. That's just like the fact of life. It, it takes money to do ministry in some degrees. And so I started to skim these emails as I received them, one each day, just curious what this was all about. And then on Thursday, I received the final email. And it was basically this. It was an invitation to spend $600 on a strategy for fundraising that was supposed to help our church make more money, and that was like 50% off. Now, at the same time that I was receiving these emails, I was also reflecting on our passage of Scripture for this week, Luke chapter 10, and I was kind of ruminating on it throughout the week, and you heard it read earlier. Let me just reread a portion of it, verses 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So I'm reading this scripture, and I'm reading these church marketing emails, and I find myself wondering, like, what is the goal of the church? What are, what are we doing here? Should we have a church fundraising blueprint so that we can more effectively execute our church marketing strategy? 
It's the goal to get more money so that we can get more people, so that we can get more money, so that we can get more people ad nauseum. Is that what Jesus meant when he said that the kingdom of God has come near to you? And to be honest, by the end of the week, I was just angry. I'm a little bit passive aggressive. I got angry at these emails. And so I unsubscribed and there was this option to like explain why you unsubscribed. And I was sitting there with twitching fingers and I didn't do anything. I just closed the page. And the reason, the reason why I was kind of upset is because a, a church fundraising blueprint, it may, it may be a good tool. It, it may even squeeze a little bit of extra money from people who go to church. I'm sure that it actually does work. But it's probably not going to make people more generous out of love for Jesus. It might make people write larger checks, but it won't help them see the reality that the kingdom of God has come near to you. It might make people give more money, but will it help people so that more of their hearts are given to the mission of the church? It might increase our budget to accomplish our marketing goals, but it probably won't make our hearts actually break for the lost people who we know who are dying in their sins. And I mean, really, what is the goal of the church? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Every Sunday, we proclaim the kingdom of God in here. And I'm so grateful for the money that you give. I'm so grateful for your generosity that makes that possible. I'm so encouraged by the way that you give sacrificially to fund the ministry of Maricopa Springs. And, And I wish I had time to tell you all of the ways that it impacts people's lives and blesses them. But I have to ask the question, is the goal to bring people in here? Or is the goal to send people out there? And the kingdom of God is being preached every Sunday in our church. And praise God for that really important fact. But we're the only ones here. It's just you and me and all of the people out there. They are the ones who need to hear this good news. And who will take it out to them since they aren't coming in here? And what we do here on Sunday morning, it's so important. It is It is precious to me. It is a beautiful time for us to worship our God who is Jesus. It's a precious time for us to be discipled in small ways and study God's word together and enjoy fellowship and be encouraged in community. And all of that, it's super important and it's very significant. And it happens because of your generosity. But what I want you to see this morning as we look at Luke chapter 10 is that the goal of the church is to go out there to proclaim the kingdom of God. And the mission of Maricopa Springs is to help people meet and follow Jesus. And I want to confess and even repent to you this morning because I think I've failed to some degree to lead our church well in this. I generally get really fired up about helping people follow Jesus. I get fired up about teaching you guys the word and helping you get plugged into life groups and being part of our men's Bible study on Monday morning. I have the privilege to lead that and I love it. I'm super passionate about discipleship, and I think as a result of that, people in our church, they've been challenged to grow, and I think I've seen that, people growing in their faith and their love for God, and that's a good, good thing. But I confess that when it comes to helping people meet Jesus, I truly haven't really cared so much, and I think that as a result of some of my lack of concern for helping people meet Jesus, maybe that's rubbed off on our church and rubbed off on you. And for that, I repent. 
Because the goal of our church, it's twofold, is to help people meet Jesus and help people follow him. So let me pray, and then we're going to look at this uh, specifically through the lens of helping people meet Jesus. Lord God, what a joy to think that you are at work in the world. The church has never, ever, ever been short on money because we trust a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so you're good to provide and take care of us. And I thank you for the way that you have done that at Maricopa Springs. But Lord, we acknowledge this morning that more ministry needs to happen out there because there are not enough people in here hearing the gospel proclaimed. They're out. They're, they're in their homes this morning watching TV or resting. And so, Lord, we know that your heart breaks for these people, and so help our hearts to break for these people. Lord, would you send out more workers into the harvest? Would you use this time to encourage us in that way? Amen. Well, I want us to just work our way slowly through the first two verses of 10. Or, uh, Luke chapter 10, maybe as Doug was reading that, you were beginning to panic and be like, oh no, this is going to be a long message this morning. I'm just going to focus on the first two verses. Let me read it again. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I hope you have your Bibles because I'm going to kind of nitpick a couple of words here, okay? Verse 1, starting here. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72. Well, after what? In our Bibles, this story happens after Luke chapter 9, and in Luke chapter 9, we spent at least two weeks. I think it took us like five or six weeks to get through Luke chapter 9, but we spent at least two weeks talking about the cost of following Jesus, and in many ways, that's the theme of that chapter. Remember, If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Remember, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back to the things of the world is ready for the kingdom of God, is fit for God's kingdom. And these are hard teachings. They tell us that following Jesus is a life of sacrifice for his sake. It is a journey that's filled with joy and with satisfaction, but it's a journey where where we willingly surrender ourselves and our lives for him and his kingdom. We work for him. We serve him. We give our all to him. All that we have and all that we are belongs to him. And so it is now after this that Jesus takes this action, sending out the disciples, After he has explained all that it means to choose to follow him and be his disciple, now he then puts his followers to work. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now I say uh, probably fairly frequently that the Bible speaks to a specific group of people at a specific period in time, but the specific circumstances of Scripture often have implications for who we are and what we do. We were not literally here for this moment, but it has something to say to us now here. Jesus appointed these 72 disciples to his work, and we weren't there to receive that appointment. So does it mean that it doesn't apply to us? Are we off the hook? Do we get a pass? No. Absolutely not. We were not a part of this 72 that was appointed, but I believe that we have been appointed to a similar task. 
We often look at the Great Commission here at Maricopa Springs because this is where our mission statement as a church comes from. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it reads, Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The church all throughout history has read this as an appointment for every believer to carry on the proclamation of the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus appoints these 72 to go and proclaim the kingdom of God in Jerusalem at that point in time. And he has appointed us to proclaim the kingdom of God in Maricopa at our point in time. And to be appointed for a task by somebody with an authority, it's, it's such a great privilege. I don't know what your political views are, but Obama recently has the uh, opportunity to appoint a new um, Supreme Court justice because of the passing of Antonin Scalia. And to be appointed by the President of the United States of America to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, what an honor and a privilege that would be to be given that appointment. And in the same way, Christ has appointed us to speak to the world about the riches of his kingdom. God has elected you to preach his kingdom come. God has elected us to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to an unbelieving world. God has blessed us with the joyful responsibility to proclaim his kingdom. We have been raised up and appointed for this task. And so maybe you've used the excuse, I don't really know the Bible very well, so I should probably just keep quiet. No, Christ has appointed you to make disciples of all nations. Or maybe you want to say, well, I'm not very good at telling people about Jesus. It makes me uncomfortable. Well, that's no excuse. Proclaim the kingdom of God anyway. Let Jesus sort out the details of how it turns out. Or maybe you think, but I don't know any non-Christians. That's often my problem. Well, go out and meet some. They're all over the place. Jesus himself has appointed you to this task. And what an honor, what a joy, what a privilege to help people meet and follow Jesus. What a glorious assignment Christ has given you to save the lost, to save the dying. What a virtuous calling you've been given to play a part in redeeming those who are lost. What a dignified position of excellence you have been appointed to do, to speak the name of Jesus to a world that does not know him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he was about to go. We've been appointed to the task, and the task which we have is to be a herald for the name of Jesus. A herald was an officer in a king's army who would go before the king to a location where he was heading to proclaim his coming. And Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and to get there, he would be soon passing through these cities, and he would be there in the flesh among these people. And to get people ready for his coming, he sent his disciples ahead of him as heralds of this good news. Christ is coming. And it was their job then to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand in the arrival of Jesus. 
And for our part, Christ has come and Christ continues to come. And one day he will return in fullness. But even now the kingdom of God is being established and the powers of evil are being overthrown. Right here in Maricopa. Even now God is building his kingdom and we go before him to prepare the way. Now what I think is really significant here is that a herald didn't talk about a king who was distant or who would stay far away. What a herald was responsible to do was to proclaim that the king himself would be coming in power. And what I mean is that Jesus is not far from us. Jesus is not distant. You have neighbors and friends who think that there is no God or God has abandoned them. But our God is not a God who's disconnected and apathetic towards his creation. When Muslims proclaim their faith, they proclaim a dead prophet and a distant God. But when we proclaim our faith, we proclaim the resurrected Jesus, God in the flesh who lives. And the message that we go before him to declare is that he is near even now and he is coming and he is here. He will come in power. I only have to let the world know that he's coming. He will be faithful in his part to show up, and he's coming even now, but we must be faithful in our part to declare that he is near. Verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Sorry, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is the part where I need to repent, I think. If you were here last week, I said this. I said, precious few Christians feel any sense of urgency to tell the walking dead about the hope of Christ. And truthfully, I need to repent of that line. I need to repent for the sin of being quick to point out in others where they're failing and not first acknowledging it in myself. What I should have said is not that precious few Christians feel any sense of urgency to tell the walking dead about the hope of Christ. What I should have said is that I am often unconcerned about the dead who bury the dead. And the truth is, if I'm honest with myself before God, I've sinned, and I've sinned by failing to believe that the harvest is plentiful. I confess that in my heart, I doubt the truthfulness of these words that Jesus speaks. Two short stories to this effect. On Friday, I got a haircut, which my wife just noticed this morning. (laughs) I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I didn't bring it up either. It's not important. She loves me deeply. I need to repent again, man. Let's see how deep this rabbit hole goes. All right, so on Friday, I got this haircut, and and, I'm talking with the barber, just small talk, and he asks me what I do, and I say, I pastor a church. And uh, his complete lack of interest was just palpable. You could feel it in the air. He had no interest whatsoever in talking about my profession. And immediately, my mind went to this place. There's no harvest to be reaped here. I'm not going to press this because he doesn't care and I don't care. His lack of interest made me immediately assume that he was not part of this great harvest that Jesus says is out there for us to reap. 
Another example, sometimes at Starbucks, I see this casual acquaintance, a guy that I've just met from spending time in Starbucks. He's a young man my age. He's not really practicing, but he calls himself a Catholic. He approves of the gay marriage. He thinks that the problem with the world today is that we all just can't get along, and that if we could do that, everything would be better. And when I listen to him talk about his godless opinions, I assume that he's not part of the harvest. I don't even try to lead him to the truth of Jesus. I disbelieve the words of Jesus when he rightly proclaims the harvest is plentiful because I just assume that he doesn't care, this, this kid that I talk with. And friends, I confess that I believe, I, I have believed the lie that God has stopped working, that there is no harvest. And it may be that as I have bought into this lie, it has rubbed off on you and you too have believed this that I've led you there inadvertently. In my sin of shunning the words of Jesus that the harvest is plentiful, I may have sinned against you by leading you to believe that the Spirit of God is not drawing people to Christ out there. And that's not the problem. It's not the problem that God is not drawing people to Christ. So forgive me if I've wronged you. The word of God goes forth. The gospel is proclaimed. And while it often does fall on deaf ears, still a harvest is being reaped among those who right now don't know Jesus. The souls of the lost are being brought home because of the faithfulness of God. And so God, forgive me for my failure to believe that my neighbor might hear the gospel and believe in the name of Jesus and be saved. God, forgive me for withholding the gospel from people because I assume they don't care. God, forgive me for thinking that the hearts of pagans in Maricopa are cold to the message of grace and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. God, forgive me for disbelieving the precious words of Jesus that in fact the harvest is plentiful. The problem is not that people will not believe when they hear the good news. God softens hearts and God wields the power to bring people to to a saving knowledge of Christ, to overcome their dead and lifeless soul. The problem is that I have failed to be faithful as a worker in his field. That's the problem. And oh, that our church would repent of disbelieving some of the words of Jesus and instead choose to believe the fullness of what Christ says in these words, that God wants to use his church to bring home a great harvest of lost people into his kingdom. And may we not only pray that God would send out workers into the field, but that we might also be counted among those who go and labor and reap for the kingdom of God. May we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then may we proclaim like the words of Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me to do that work. And now at the heart of this problem is my heart. And I can confess this to you. I can stand up here. I can preach a message about it. And doing these things is not really going to address the real problem. Because the real problem is I love myself too much and I love lost people too little. The real problem is I need a change of heart. But I can't do that. The goal of our church is to help people meet and follow Jesus. But in order for that to happen, we have to actually care about people enough to want them to meet and follow Jesus. 
And if we're honest, we really don't care. I guess I shouldn't speak for you, right? I'm learning that lesson. If I'm honest, if I am honest, I'm quite content to just enjoy my church and worship with you, and I don't honestly care about those who are out there who are lost. And that's the real problem. But we don't come to truly care by trying harder. Maybe you're beginning to feel this like sense of guilt. That's not the point. We don't come to care by the pastor making us feel guilty that we don't care. We don't come to care by forcing ourselves to use some new evangelism technique. We don't come to care by purchasing a billboard for our church and hosting some big evangelism outreach. We come to care through Christ. We begin to care about the harvest when we share in the heart of Jesus because he cares. As much as he cares for you, he cares for the people out there who don't know him. He cares deeply for his sheep who are still lost, who have not yet come home. The Lord of the harvest cares deeply about the outcome. So how do we begin to share in his heart? I think the primary way that we begin to share is that we pray. We ask God to change our hearts. We seek God's heart and we ask him to share it with us. Because when we share in the heart of God, God listens. God answers our prayers. His desires become ours and he longs to fulfill them. And I believe Jesus commands his followers to pray for God to send workers because he knew that when we began to pray for that, our hearts would begin to break for those who are lost. And when our hearts became broken for the lost, we would become the workers that we are praying for. He would answer our prayer by sending us out into the field. So here's what I want to do this morning. This may epically fail, but we're going to try it anyway. I want to give you a chance to pray and ask God to share his heart with our church. I don't think we've ever done anything like this before. What I want to do is I want to give you a chance to pray and to ask God to send us out as laborers. In your bulletin, I've given you a prayer guide to sort of help you because maybe church for you has always been like observational, not participational. Is that a word? Anyway, you get the idea. There's a pink sheet in there, and I think it says like prayer guide at the top. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open us in prayer in a minute here. And I'm just going to let there be silence if there needs to be silence, but I want to invite you to pray. I want us to spend time praying together. And I really want to challenge you to pray. I want you to join our church in asking for God to send out laborers. So we've set up actually three mics for you. Everybody's going to have their head bowed, their eyes closed, and I invite you to get up. I know the aisles can be skinny sometimes. Who cares? Brush past people. I want to invite you to come up to one of the mics, even if you have to line up. And I want you to stand there until it's your turn to pray, and I want you to lead our church in obedience to Jesus by praying earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the fields.
And I know there may be lots of things for you to pray for on your heart, you know, ill family members and people going through struggles and things like that. I, I want us to really laser focus on our church having God's heart for lost people. And that's what I want you to pray for. And so I want you to pray out loud into the mic. I know maybe some of you are like, I would never, ever, ever do that. We don't care how eloquent your prayer is. We just want you to entreat God for him to come and give us his heart. So stay focused on the harvest that God has appointed us to take part in. Have courage. But this is a time for us to ask God to send out workers and to make us workers and to let us share in his love for lost people. And if you're the kind of person who, no matter how much I encourage you to do so, would never, ever approach the mic, so be it. Stay in your seat and silently unite your heart in prayer with those who lead us in prayer. Join them in agreement with what it is that they're asking God to do. And I encourage everyone, stretch yourselves, be bold. If the Spirit is leading you to pray, then come forward. Come to one of the mics and do this. And after we've prayed, then I'm going to close us out in a couple of minutes. So let me begin. Lord, if we only knew how broken your heart was for lost people, if we could only glimpse for a minute how much you love your sheep who are still lost, that you would put your own son on the cross to shed his blood for them. Lord, would you give us a glimpse of that now in these moments ahead? Would you convict us and encourage us? Would you inspire us and lead us? Lord, we want to ask that you would send out laborers into the harvest. Lord, whether that be in the Philippines or Russia or China or the Dominican Republic or anywhere around the world, Lord, that's what we're asking for. But we pray, too, that it would happen here in Maricopa, at Maricopa Springs, and at Church of Celebration, and a community of hope, and at Desert Springs, and at all the churches in our community where you are working to bring your lost sheep home. But Lord, would you teach us to weep for those who are lost and would you send us out to be part of the harvest, we pray. Oh, dear God, thank you for the changes you make in our lives. God, I just want to ask uh, your forgiveness for the um, uncaring heart, um, for the timidity of sharing your wonderful saving grace with those around me in my life, neighbors. I just pray that um, with me and my brothers and sisters here gather in your name that that you give us um, a heart that cares fervently um, for those around us. Give us um, opportunity and the boldness to seize it. Please change our hearts, Father.
Lord God, we come to you today as a church that knows that we've been, well, I know that I have been not as compassionate, not as caring um, for those that are not, that are lost. And I ask that you help me be a better example for not only my family, but for my church family. And I ask that, uh, that you help us as part of what Romans 10 says, brothers, my dear heart, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them is that they may be saved. Help us be the, the workers that go out and find the lost and bring them back. Lord, I thank you for this time to just gather together our hearts and repent of my doubt, Lord, and my fears and just lift up the teens of Maricopa, Lord, and their hearts for purity and to not be distracted and accept lies in their hearts or second best, Lord, but that you would renew their spirits, Lord, and gather them and help them be on fire for you, Lord, and hear truth from those of us who used to be teenagers, Lord, that can speak wisdom in their hearts. And Lord, I pray for the hurting women of Maricopa that gather in crisis alone, that are isolated and that need a listening ear, need a friend, and need a church family to love them. And Lord, again, I repent of my doubt and my fear and know that in your timing you'll provide, in your provision and your wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, every time that I pray for this church, which is a lot, you constantly bring to my heart the ones that sit amongst us here that aren't fully sold out to you, God that need you, that need a greater, greater understanding of who you are. And Lord, I pray for that this day, for the ones that sit amongst us each here and every day, Lord, that, that then, Lord, that you would propel us out into the harvest, Lord God, and that we may share who you are. And Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for what you're doing, all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to do, Lord. And let us not forget the seeds that each and every one of us has planted that the enemy would love to think that are stolen, but they're not. Because you may plant a seed today and never see a change, but no next person will come along and that seed will grow. And it started with you because God is faithful. Thank you, Father, for... Uh, this day thank you lord for your merciful thank you that you open our eyes ears and hearts so we can know who you are um you we know that you are a loving god and we also know father that one day you will come to judge us father help us um, to share um, the whole gospel father not only what is easy um to say, and it's going to be easy to be accepted, Father. For your path is not easy. In fact, your path is narrow, Father. So I pray, Father, that um, you will encourage us to share the light um, that you have given us, that we will be obedient to do that, because you call us to do that, Father. And I pray that... Um, you will take away all those um, things that make us not do that. I have been guilty of that. I think that I'm not prepared, that I'm not good enough. So I pray, Lord, that you will put in us a new heart 
that you will put in us, your heart, Father. So we really understand that it's so important, Father, to talk to others about who you are and what you are about, Lord. Thank you because you are faithful. You don't break your, any promises, Father. And thank you because you provide this opportunity. Things don't happen just because. So I thank you for sharing this message today. And please help us be obedient. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. We serve a powerful God, and I pray that our identity would be found in the one true God, in the powerful God, and that we would live in that truth, and that we would proclaim your word boldly, God, to the people that you present before us. We thank you so much. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Father, I ask that you would banish guilt and shame and instead give us the joy of sharing in your heart. I pray that we would have the courage to offer the name of Christ to a lost world because we love you so much and we feel a brokenness for those who don't share in that love. And so, Lord, lead us on, we pray. Um, send us out. Make us laborers for your harvest. And let us see the joy of reaping the fruit of the gospel. In your son's precious name, amen. Because we've prayed and we've asked God to do his part, and I believe that he will, but I want to challenge you with just one more action step. I want to challenge you to actually speak the gospel into people's lives, okay? I want to challenge you to use your mouth and your words to tell people about Jesus, but I want to make it very simple. And here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. I want, to, I want you to look for an opportunity to invite somebody to do a simple Bible study with you. Let God speak to these people himself. You don't need to be eloquent in speech. You just need to be a guide through that process. So, for example, that guy that I see in Starbucks, the next time I see him, I could just say something as simple as, hey, man, I can tell that you're a really spiritual guy. I know that you stop in here for your coffee before work. Why don't tomorrow you show up 15 minutes early and let's look at John together? And we could spend 15 minutes just reading John chapter 1. And if he says no, no big deal, no skin off my back. If he says yes, then I would literally go to the Gospel of John. I'd bring my Bible, and he and I can read that together and just talk briefly about what it means. And that's what I want you to do. Look for opportunities to invite people to potentially read the Gospel of John with you. God can do the talking. You just need to be the facilitator. Let the Word of God speak, and you be present as he does so. So do you get a lunch break at work? Do you have a coworker that you've had some deeper conversations with? Why not invite them to eat their lunch with you and read the Gospel of John and talk about what it means? Do you have a neighbor who knows you go to church? Maybe pop over to their house for 15 minutes with some cookies. Say, hey, I'd love to stop by next week as well. And let's just spend 15 minutes sitting around your kitchen table reading this and talking about what it means. 
I'm sure that you can think of somebody. We have asked God to send out laborers, and so now let's take his word and let's go. Let's be faithful to that. We've asked, he will answer, so let's get to work. Let's put our hand to the plow without looking back. Let's believe what Jesus says when he says that the harvest is plentiful. Let's believe that he wants to share in that work with us, that he wants us to go forth declaring that the kingdom of God is near. Find someone, invite them to read the gospel of John as you continue to pray and watch God reap a harvest as he sends you out as a laborer. Let me pray. Almighty God, we again thank you for this time and we just ask that you would be faithful to your word. We know that you will because you have promised you will and we have seen it unfold throughout history. And so we ask that in Maricopa, in this day, in this time, that we would see a great harvest because our hearts are broken for lost people. We know yours is. And so would you let us share in that so that we love and care for those who are far from you. And would you bring your sheep home, all of them,